I was sitting in front of a classroom, a mixed classroom of fourth and fifth graders, sunny Chicago spring day, and the desks in the classroom were pushed together in clusters. The students read from notes reporting on their research. They reported that their research had turned up that in order to be a pastor, you might need to get a Master's of Divinity degree. They reported on the tasks that a pastor is responsible for. I'll say they did not nail that part of the assignment. They reported that a pastor can expect to earn between $15,000 and $125,000 a year, which broadly is correct. The whole school had devoted itself to this career day. There was another clergy person sitting in the other chair at the front of the room with me. And once the reports were over, it was time for questions. The, the deacon and I took turns responding. One kid asked why do you have to, have to dress up for church, and as someone who doesn't really think you have to, I answered carefully. Then there's a, a little guy sitting in the middle of the room, and he had this deep frown on his face. And his question was, why doesn't God heal my mom? She's addicted to drugs, and she keeps praying and praying to get better, but she doesn't. Just regular career day stuff. The deacon started to answer. It was a long answer about praying harder and about really wanting to be healed and about God having something to teach her, and maybe he didn't use the word sin, but he came close, and I worked to keep my face steady and neutral. You know, it's not a gift of mine, and I was waiting and waiting, and the kid was furious. He just glowered. And when it was my turn, I didn't worry too much about what the deacon thought. I made eye contact like as hard as I could with this little boy. And I told him that I believe God wants his mom to be well, which is surely some kind of public school thing you're not supposed to say. I said I believe that we can make choices. I didn't go into how I think our choices are shaped and limited by our circumstances. I said that addiction is really hard, that it's a sickness that can take people, so, some people a long time, a really long time to get well from, and, and that how long it takes to get better from addiction, that's just a, kind of a natural consequence of what kind of sickness it is. I felt like I had the shortest little one-time window to tell this kid how much God loves him and his mom and to tell him that he's right. It's terrible that she's sick. It's very bad. And it is not a sign of anything they have done wrong. I didn't say it because I'd already talked for long enough, although not as long as the deacon. I didn't say to him that there's nothing they need to learn except hopefully, God willing, how to live one day at a time how to be safe for and with each other, how to survive long enough for things to maybe get better. I don't know that he was satisfied with either of our answers. Along with a lot of other people, I think of the book of Job as being about the question of human suffering. Along with a lot of other people, I value it as a bracingly refreshing take on the problem of suffering. God, Job asks real hard questions of God. Job makes demands of God that seem, I mean, right from the center of the tradition, the center of the biblical text, his questions seem to model a righteous rage that, say, that says, I'm suffering and for no reason again and again. Job defends himself to his three friends who show up, and, and they, also from the center of the tradition, the center of the Torah, say to him, you must have done something. 
because we all know how this works. Righteousness and blessing, they go together. So if you're not experiencing blessing, you must have failed in your righteousness somewhere. For roughly two and a half millennia, Job's witness to the fact that bad things, terrible things happen even to good people has been a balm to people who've had bad things happen to them. People who've had unsatisfying answers about why or what it means. The book of Job is about the authority to tell others what happened to you, even if it doesn't make sense within your tradition. The book of Job is about asking hard questions of God who can take it. It's about being quiet when your friends are suffering and not offering terrible advice. That's the best thing Job's friends do before they start talking. They sit with him in silence for seven days. All of which is to say I'm grateful for the book of Job, me and a lot of other people. And this week I, I added a couple of new reasons. One of, to be grateful, I mean one of the reasons is that it's not just that we can ask hard questions of God. It's not just that we're allowed to describe our situations, that our self-knowledge is valid. It's that a person who is suffering and rails at God, a person who is suffering but won't let God off the hook, that person is not just allowed but is uniquely qualified to talk about God. A person in pain who glowers and keeps searching for God has a particular kind of knowledge, a particular kind of authority, in the face of which the rest of us should be quiet. In the face of which theological authority, the rest of us who may not be for the moment suffering, the rest of us should consider adopting an attitude of humility. The one who is suffering and keeps seeking God has something to teach us even if that one is a child, or maybe especially then. I love Alexander's mom in today's story. She seems like a port in the storm. She's kind of solid ground under all the upheaval, even if she did forget to put dessert in his lunch. She never tells Alexander it's okay. He knows it's not, and she seems to also. And even when some of what happens in his terrible day is the consequence of his own actions and his decisions, she doesn't ask, what will you do differently tomorrow? She doesn't make an object lesson out of his cavity. Time to start brushing more. And although we don't see her do it in the book, I picture her at day's end sitting on the edge of his bed. Maybe she brushes the hair away from his forehead and maybe he jerks his head away or maybe he doesn't. I picture him telling her all the things and her being quiet, saying only, mm-hmm, ugh. And then before she leaves the room, she kisses him and says, even in Australia, some days are like that. We're human beings, honey. You can't get away from it. Ooze, in the book of Job, it's as far away and imaginary as Australia is for Alexander. The book of Job is set in the long ago and far away. There once was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that's part of how Job stands in for all of us. All of us who have had or will have terrible things happen to us. All of us who love our children and go the extra mile to make sure they're safe. All of us who love our parents and worry about them. 
all of us who are trying to make sense of what happened to us or to someone we love or to the people under that bridge or the people outside that airport or the people in the aftermath of Ida or the people in Texas in the aftermath of that law. Some of it is the consequence of human action that will take a long time to recover from. Maybe the most important thing that Job says in all his ranting and grief, at least for me this week, is that he corrects what his friends got wrong, like specifically, and actually his friends got it wrong in the same way that Satan does. And Satan is like um, kind of a divine prosecuting attorney in this story, right? Um, but both Satan and the friends believe that there is a deep and unbreakable connection between faith and blessing. For Satan, it's that Job or that any of us only have faith when we're thriving. For the friends, it's that Job, that any of us, must have failed in our faith if we are not thriving. And Job says, that's not it. That's not my experience, and it's not what God is like, and that's not what my relationship with God is like. Some years after I met that boy in a class in the classroom, I sat on a couch with another kid. It was Ash Wednesday, and I still had the cross on my forehead. This kid on the other end of the couch had just lost a parent to another disease that our culture tends to blame sufferers for. This kid, who was only hours into this terrible loss, was turning to questions about what other people would think and about how the story would get told publicly in print and in conversation. This kid was turning to meaning-making and said, I know, that not I know that everything happens for a reason. <laughs> and I have to say, I'm not big on like, correcting people's theology in general and certainly not in moments of crisis. But this was the beginning of a long journey. Honey, I said, can I tell you what I think? And I said that I believe that God wanted their parent to be well and that their parent had a disease and that that disease killed them. I told the kid that terrible things happened to people and this was as bad as it felt. It wasn't their imagination. It wasn't overblown. I told the kid that I believed what they had. They had what they needed to heal and grow even in this circumstance, but that's not why it happened. I don't think everything happens for a reason, I said. And I didn't tell the kid this, but I have this story, this fable from long ago and far away that people have been drawn to for millennia as a kind of proof. I mean, it's a story in which Job argues for like 35 chapters with his friends and says in a hundred ways, nothing happens for a reason. He goes wide and he names violence that we would recognize, rank, truly rank injustice of the world, people lying all night without clothing, with no covering in the cold, he says. How can that be right? It's a story in which Job corrects the friends and Satan when he blesses the name of God. When he says, my relationship with God isn't a transaction. I don't have faith with God because God blesses me. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I don't have faith. God doesn't bless me because I have faith. Clearly, not blessed. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What we have, Job proclaims from the center of the tradition and the center of the text, speaking of for people of faith in all times and places, what we have, Job says, is a relationship of love, a love that is beyond what it can do for either one of us, me or God, a love that is beyond my rage at God, a love that is beyond whether or not I will bless the name of the Lord, blessed be the name of the Lord. What we have is a bedrock foundation in the horrible upheavals, a port in the terrible storms. I wanted so badly for the deacon to shut up and stop talking. 
Stop telling that little boy his mother was an addict because she wasn't really working or praying hard enough. Stop telling that little boy that God would definitely, eventually heal her. Stop lying to this kid. Stop saying things you couldn't possibly know for sure. I wanted him to stop talking so I could correct him and Satan and tell this little boy the truth, which I definitely knew. So I said my piece about how addiction is a hard disease to heal from and how God wants his mom to get well, and I, I believe that. I thought about how God loves this little boy, which I knew in part because I already loved him, and I think God has way more practice and is way better at loving people than I am. But I didn't keep quiet. I didn't, and in so many ways I couldn't have, I didn't sit in the ashes of his life with him and cry aloud for him like Job's friends did before they started talking so much. Because I was talking, I failed to realize at that moment that I was not the one with authority to teach, or not the only one with authority. I failed to, re failed to realize that the boy was uniquely qualified to talk about God and knew more than I did, but blessed be the name of the Lord, the boy told me. His eyebrows still furrowed hard, still making eye contact with me as hard as we could. He said, well, then I think you should tell people how God really is. And I have tried. At the end of the book of Job, the subject headings in my Bible tell me that Job is satisfied. Job is satisfied. God speaks to him from a whirlwind and says that Job got it right, that Job had the only good theology among them, that the friends were idiots and that they should repent and make offerings to God and ask Job to pray for them because his prayers God would listen to. possible that Job also gave God the answers that God was seeking in this story. That maybe God also needed to hear, this relationship is not transactional. I've known what it is to have plenty, and I've known what it is to be in great need. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I think it's possible that God needed Job's wisdom, a reminder of God's project of creation, creating us for transformation and growth and relationship and love. The story, Job's story, it does have a happy ending, as happy as you can get after so much loss. God restores Job's, Job's fortunes, and that might be maddening to those of us who are still suffering. But also at the end, finally, finally, all his brothers and sisters and all who'd known Job came and showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the suffering he'd experienced. Finally, they recognized this great teacher in their midst, one who could speak with authority one who is uniquely qualified to correct them and describe what God is really like. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And if they were wise, they were quiet and they listened. And if they were lucky, Job prayed for them. <laughs>